The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Welcome to church. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, teaching pastor. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Can we give a round of applause for our fathers? We love you. Uh, We almost didn't get donuts this morning, too, because Krispy Kreme, I'll never again order from Krispy Kreme. I'm just going to tell you, uh, they just about dropped the ball. We went, like, Hannah went to get the donuts, and they were like, I don't, what? We're closed. (laughs) True story. All right. I'll let you take that up with her. Uh, If you got a Bible, let's go Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Uh, if you are new and you are wanting to be known, uh, the easiest way to do that's the connect card that you have there in the seat back in front of you, uh, and uh, you can fill that out at any point in the gathering. Uh, it's just real quick, three little uh, issues there, your name, phone number, email, I think is all it is, and then uh, there's some black boxes in the back. You can put that in when you, uh, when you leave. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, no connect card for you physically, but you can go to the website uh, that you see on the screen there and uh, fill that out as well. So we've been studying the book of Acts And as I've said over and over again, Acts is what it looks like. This whole book is about what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. Okay. Now, what we've seen so far is that Christ has died and he's risen. He told his disciples to wait for the power of his Holy Spirit that would come and they would be witnesses to his name throughout the entire earth. The Holy Spirit did fall on them. And they were emboldened and they were empowered uh, to to proclaim the gospel. We've seen so far Peter preach a couple of times now and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds have been healed of various illnesses, diseases, sicknesses. We saw one guy healed of being lame, paralyzed, right? He just got up and started doing the triple Lutz in the temple because God moved in power and brought healing to this man. Now, recently, we've seen some tests for this early church. Uh, they were tested from outside. There, were, there was persecution. Uh, the, the religious people did not really like what was going on, and so they uh, arrested Peter, the leader of this early group, and John, his sort of sidekick, and uh, they, they interrogated them uh, and told them, don't preach this gospel anymore, and then they let him go. Uh, last week, we saw a, a test from within the church that uh, uh, well, let me say this first. The people of God, when they were tested from outside, valued boldness over comfort. They prayed for more boldness, didn't they? And God blessed their effort. He blessed their faithfulness. He blessed their ministry. Uh, then, then we saw this test from, from within, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, it wasn't a test of giving. It was a test of integrity, right? They sold a piece of property. They gave a portion of the proceeds, said they gave it all. And this early church valued honesty over appearances. God purified the church. He, he actually struck down Ananias and Sapphira dead in their midst. The church was purified. Uh, and then last week at the, at the tail end, we saw uh, in chapter 5, verse 14, more than ever before, believers were added to the Lord. So this church continues to grow. Uh, now they're all together in Solomon's temple in, in, the, in the porch area. And um, We see this pattern continue. We're going to continue to see this over the next few chapters. There's a pattern of growth and power, 
coupled with opposition and challenge. Power and growth, opposition and challenge. And it's this back and forth that continues for the next few chapters, and I would even argue continues uh, all the way to today. Today, we're going to see more opposition. It's going to sound similar to my message from a few weeks ago, because again, people are arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. But I think God has something different for us, new for us, uh, that's not the same as what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Um, And so we're going to look at that. Uh, We should expect opposition. How many of you feel like it's hard to be a Christian uh, in the United States today? Huh? Okay, a few of us Uh, The rest of you maybe just aren't living faithfully enough. (laughs) Uh, It's hard. It's hard. I'm just kidding. It's hard to be a a follower of Jesus anywhere in the world today, but but it's it's hard here. It's hard to stand for biblical truth, biblical values. Uh, It's hard to hold to the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to salvation in this world and not be looked at like you're a lunatic. Okay? I, I mean, we're in the middle of... People have taken a symbol of God's promise to his people and turned it into an excuse to celebrate their rebellion against God. Like, I'm all for a humility month, casting ourselves low before the Lord, but when we are celebrating rebellion against God and using his own, a rainbow is a symbol of God's promise to his people, okay? So Jesus warned us that opposition would come, and we do not silence opposition by fighting back with the world's tactics, right, and protesting and picketing and rioting and all that kind of stuff. We do not, we do not silence opposition by shrinking back and just pretending like there is no opposition. What silences the opposition to the gospel is when God's people show their true citizenship from above with courage and with love and with goodness and with joy. How do we do that? That's what the rest of Acts 5 is all about. So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to read all of it because it's a pretty lengthy section here. We're going to pick it up in verse 17, uh, and we will read down to verse 42, and then I'll pray and we'll dive in here, okay? Acts 5, 17 to 42. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen in front of you, and uh, you can follow along there. Acts 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, I bet they were, wondering what this could come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and preaching to the people, teaching to people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in the name, in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudius rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be your people, grateful to call you our Father in heaven, that by the blood of Jesus, we have the right to be called the children of God, and so we are. We are grateful that we belong to you, that you love us, that you provide for us everything that we need, that you bless us beyond measure. And Father, we come this morning longing to hear about Jesus, longing to be instructed, challenged, encouraged, rebuked, um, blessed by your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to help us to hear and to learn and, uh, and, and more importantly, uh, to know you better, Lord Jesus, to trust in you more, to follow you more closely, to understand your great gospel uh, even more intently and to cling to Jesus above all else. So, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to preach clearly and boldly, uh, humbly, lovingly to your people. And, and may you do the work that only you can do by your spirit and through your word in our hearts this morning. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity and we pray that you would bless our study of your word in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. So if you're a note taker, I'm just going to get out my first point right away and that's enduring opposition, enduring opposition. Uh, here in verses 17 to 24, we see the church has been purified and this whole congregation is meeting at the outskirts of the temple, okay? The crowd is thousands deep, okay? We've seen this, like the church went from 120 to 3,000 into 5,000 men, so there's likely, you know, up to maybe 10,000 or more people. The religious leaders in chapter 4 were greatly annoyed previously, right? They were greatly annoyed at this movement. Uh, so that means that the early church, this early movement of Christians had to be kind of a rock in their shoe, you know, uh, they, they thought it would go away, and it just didn't. It kept growing. Imagine if that happened in our own city. 
Like I was downtown with some friends last night and it was pretty busy down there. But just imagine that like um, in Pritchard Park and at Pack Square Park, right? Uh, Christians gathered and, and we were worshiping every day and, and people were coming to Christ and people were being healed uh, and people were worshiping and people were proclaiming the gospel day after day after day after day. How do you think the city would like that? Not too good, right? They would go, hey, do you have a permit? Right? Uh, you're taking up all the parking spaces. Can you guys move? Because we got to, uh, this isn't kind of the vibe we want to send out to our tourists. So can you go away? This is the problem that the religious leaders have at the temple, right? This movement is growing, which means their movement is shrinking because they're in Jerusalem. It's all Jews who are coming to Jesus. Now, what, what are the apostles, what are the Christians guilty of so far? Loving people, laying their hands on and healing people, proclaiming Jesus to people that they might be healed spiritually. So what is the issue. The religious, the religious leaders, according to our passage, are jealous. They're jealous. They're losing people. They're likely losing money because the people who are coming to Christ are now giving to the church and no longer giving to uh, the, the temple. More importantly, they're losing power they're losing control. They're losing influence. And by the way, no one asked their opinion. No one asked their permission to start this new movement. Uh, God's Holy Spirit is not using the Jews in this way. And so they're seeing all this stuff happen, and they don't get to play a part in it. And they've already decided that God cannot be part of this movement called the Way or this early Christian movement. And so they have set out to stop it because they're jealous. A little side note, by the way. You see that in verse 17, right? They were filled with jealousy. Last week, we saw that Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Peter said, how have you let Satan fill your hearts? Whatever fills you, controls you. Whatever fills you, controls you. What's filling you this morning? Are you filled with jealousy? Are you filled with anger? Are you filled with unforgiveness? Are you filled uh, with uh, with sadness? Are you filled with a desire for revenge? Right? Are you filled with envy? You know, even, in, even in, um, among Christian people, you can, you can see this take place. You know, uh, I, I see it a lot with, with churches, you know, a, a certain church who does things a little bit differently. They're not outright heretics necessarily, but they're doing things not in the way that we would do them or whatever. And some will go, well, they're growing, but only because of blah, 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 right? And they're downplaying it. They're, rather than celebrate God's work, they're jealous, Right? That, that, that God is perhaps blessing this ministry and not ours. Whatever fills you controls you. And it controls these men to the point that they want the apostles killed, we'll see, in a little bit. So the apostles are arrested. It's a public spectacle, really. Uh, you know, it says they put them in, in public prison. The idea is this is a political stunt. They're going to come to them out in the open among these thousands of people and all the others that are at the temple. And they're going to make a big public spectacle out of arresting them, right? They want it to be on the news. They want it, they want it going viral on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all the rest, right? They're, they're doing this, and they're going to put them in prison for, for preaching about Jesus, essentially. They're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything illegal. And yet now, instead of just Peter and John, they arrest all of the apostles. And they put them in prison. But here's the thing. 
Um, if you read systematic theology books, and I know most of you do, uh, you see the doctrines of God. And one of the doctrines of God that's never listed is humor. But God's funny. God's ironically funny. And this is what he does. Uh, these people, are the, the, the apostles are put in prison. But look, if a grave couldn't stop the Lord Jesus, why is the jail cell going to stop him? Thank you. See, here's the irony, okay? The Sadducees are the leading party. They're the ones who have the power. They are the ones who are arresting, all right? The high priest is a Sadducee. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in angels. They certainly don't believe in resurrections. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? They don't believe in miracles, don't believe in angels, don't believe in resurrections. So what does God do? He sends an angel to perform a miracle and make this prison cell look like the tomb empty. <laughs> That's funnier than you thought it was. So they're freed. They're freed. Now what? Now what do we do? What do we do? And what's the angel say? <laughs> Go back and preach the gospel. Now, if you're one of the apostles and you just got arrested publicly for preaching the gospel, and then this angel comes and frees you and says, hey, go back and preach the gospel, what's your response? Come again? <laughs> Isn't that the thing that just got us arrested? Like, it didn't go so well for us today, and I know it was really cool that you got us out of here, this ninja angel who came in the night and freed us, but you want us to go right back there? I mean, honestly, put yourself in those shoes. Like, if you think you're obeying God and it leads you to hardship, how likely are you to return to go back to do the thing that you thought God wanted you to do? Most of us would be like, I guess that wasn't it. I guess I missed it. Maybe I'll go do something else now. But what do these brothers do? They go right back. They go right back. They're there in the morning proclaiming the gospel. And don't think these are some superhero guys. They're just like you and me. They had all that internal struggle that you and I would have. They had all that, oh, I don't know about this. We'll see, right? They, they were perhaps a little fearful, hesitant, right? Nervous to go back uh, because they just got arrested. But here they are doing what God told them to do. Never let your gut stop you from doing what the Holy Spirit calls you to do. N never let that nervousness, that it's going to be uncomfortable, Right? We're not called to comfort, by the way. So he says, go back and preach. They were freed physically so that others might be freed spiritually. And so he says, I want you to go and look at verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. In my Bible, that word life is capitalized. Now, there's a couple ideas here. One, uh, some people believe that, you know how the early believers were called the way, that perhaps another nickname for them was the life, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but also, think about, I mean, Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, in, in John 10, what did Jesus say? Uh, I have come that they might have life, and life abundantly. The gospel is the message of life. If you want real, true life, and not just existing until you die, you come to Jesus, you trust in Jesus, and he gives you life and life abundant. Now, many will oppose the gospel, and many will oppose you for believing the gospel, but it is the message of life. And so once again, the religious leaders gather that Sanhedrin, the council of 71 leaders. By the way, it's, it's thought that Saul of Tarsus, who would later become Paul the apostle, is part of that Sanhedrin. 
So, so he, along with these other 70, come and gather. It's this big council. They got all their committees and subcommittees together. This is the same group of people that condemned Jesus to death. So they go and send for the apostles. Go get them. Bring them here so we can interview them and, and condemn them. Uh, and they're gone. <laughs> they are gone. How'd you like to be that jailer? You know, I could have sworn they were here. I really thought I locked that door. In fact, it is locked right now. That's so weird. They were here. The guards are in front of them. They didn't go anywhere. Where did these guys go? And everyone, it says in verse 24, was greatly perplexed. Now, there is no human explanation for what just happened, but yet they, they still refuse to acknowledge that, this, that God could be in this. So enduring opposition. Uh, where might you be enduring opposition this morning? Maybe it's just corporately, the, the world, the culture that we live in. Maybe you are facing something for what you believe. You know, uh, the loss of a friendship or uh, opportunity because you have convictions about who God is and what it means to follow him, and the world does not love that. Next, I want you to see, <coughs> excuse me, in verses 25, to 32. Uh, I'm calling this seizing opportunity. Seizing opportunity. <clears throat> Someone came and told them, verse 25, look, the men whom you put in prison for preaching the gospel are standing in the temple and preaching the gospel. <laughs> the captain, it's kind of a mall cop, with the officers, went and brought them, but not by force. You know, excuse me, can you come with us, please? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people because the appearance, right, was more important to them. Uh, than anything else. They, they, they didn't want to turn the tide against him. And then they bring him before the council, and the high priest, verse 28, says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Seizing opportunity. We're going to see Peter preach the gospel in just a second. This had to be embarrassing for the high priest right? He's a guy with power and authority. Everyone looks up to him. They gather the whole council together. We're going to really go after these guys now, and they are nowhere to be found. Except, oh, look, there they are doing the very thing we told them not to do in front of everyone. They're back at the temple telling people about Jesus. And so they bring him back in, and I love that the, the high priest's first question is not, how did you get out? <laughs> But it's, didn't I tell you to cut it out? Didn't I tell you not to do this? It shows you the powerlessness of this group, the Sanhedrin, right? Because they killed Jesus. They arrested the apostles uh, twice now. For Peter and John, they've been arrested. And the gospel has still, by the high priest's own admission, filled Jerusalem. Like it's the most backhanded compliment, right? Didn't we tell you to cut this out? You're doing really good at this. And Peter had to be, I mean, I just imagine he's going, well, thank you very much. You know, like the gospel has filled Jerusalem. They're basically saying, you want to blame us for us killing Jesus. That's not fair. But they won't say his name. Have you noticed that? We saw this in chapter four as well. He says, this name, this name. They can't even bring themselves to acknowledge the name of Jesus. And this is why they're in trouble. If they were only healing people, if they were only serving people, if they were only loving people without mentioning the name of Jesus, they would have been fine with it. 
But they mention the name of Jesus, and suddenly it's a problem. We find this in our world today, don't we? You can be a great humanitarian organization, and no one cares. No one has a problem with what you do, but you do it in the name of Jesus, and suddenly it's a big problem. Uh, We've seen this globally. Compassion International, who we are big partners with, uh, the entire organization, along with all other Christian organizations, were kicked out of the country of India a few years ago. People would rather that these kids... So if you don't know, Compassion's mission is to rescue children from poverty in Jesus' name. It's right in their tagline, okay? So they would be fine with rescuing children from poverty, but not in Jesus' name. As soon as you say, I'm going to rescue people in Jesus' name, they go, no, leave. We would rather children be in poverty than them to be rescued in the name of Jesus. Uh, In in Tanzania, where we work, uh, all Americans... Christian missionaries, most more than anything, have been kicked out of the country of Tanzania just recently because they know what they're up to. We know you're Christians. We know you're here to proclaim the gospel. We want you out. We see this with organizations even in our own country. Uh, You know, even silly stuff like you've seen, you know, Chick-fil-A wants to put a restaurant in some city and, and people protest and picket. We don't want your organization. Like, how do people oppose the Lord's chicken? But they do because this company stands for something and people hate it. No other name stirs controversy like the name of Jesus, friends. Not Brahma, not Abraham, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not even Bobby Henderson. If you don't know, he's the guy that founded the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Uh, Pastafarians, you might have heard of them. No other name stirs controversy like the name of Jesus. Why? Because it's not the word Jesus. It's what the name of Jesus stands for. What does the name of Jesus stands for? It stands for God who became flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life in our place because we cannot be sinless or perfect on our own. We cannot attain to God, so God had to come to us. And he lived the life we couldn't, and he died in our place as our substitute, taking sin, shame, guilt, all of the dark stuff in us. He took it on himself, and he took the the just wrath of God against sin on himself, absorbing that wrath and turning it into God's favor towards those who had placed their hope and trust in him. Jesus rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, death, and hell for us so that if we would trust in him, surrender our lives to him wholly and fully, we could be forgiven and adopted into the family of God and called the children of God. People do not like that. They do not like it. So they tell Peter, you guys have to stop preaching this message and the pressure will come off. And what does Peter do? He goes, stop preaching. Hey, that reminds me, I have a sermon. (laughs) And he says, we must obey God rather than men. That's verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance 
to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So he's looking at the guy, the high priest, who told him to his face, do not preach the gospel. And he preaches the gospel to him. And he says, by the way, Jesus can forgive you too. He came to, he came to, to offer repentance and forgiveness to Israel. And that includes you, high priest. The courage that this man has. Now, I want you to notice something here. When he says, okay, you killed Jesus. God raised him. That's been the common theme of his sermon so far in the book of Acts. But then he says something we haven't seen before. He says, God exalted him and called him both leader and savior. Leader. Now, I looked this word up, and it's really interesting because it, has, it shares the same root as the word that's used for high priest. So here's, here, no, this is my speculation, but here's what I think, here's what I think Peter is trying to say. This word means founder, author, originator, leader, head. And so what Peter's doing is he's, he goes, listen, Caiaphas, you are not our high priest. Jesus is. You are not our head. Jesus is. You, you are not our leader. Jesus is. He's our high priest. The high priest's role, one of his roles, was to make us atonement for the sins of the people. So on the day of atonement, uh, the high priest would go in and offer sacrifice for the people and atone for their sins for the year. Um, but, but Hebrews tells us it never was quite effective, right? Because they had to continue to offer sacrifices. They had to continue, 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 because it was never done. And so the high priest would, the priest would stand daily at the temple in order to keep offering sacrifices because it was never enough. But Hebrews says that when Jesus offered a sacrifice once for all time, he sat down because the work was finished, because he atoned fully and finally for everyone. Jesus actually atones for sins, not the high priest. And so Peter says, we are witnesses of this. Have you noticed how often the word witnesses comes up in the book of Acts? Maybe not. Okay. It comes up a lot. Jesus even says, right, I have, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses. Witnesses, witnesses. The word for witness uh, is the word, we, we get the word martyr from it. Martyrus. We get the word martyr. Now, a martyr in the Bible is not someone who dies for their faith. A martyr in the Bible is someone who dies to themselves in order to live out their faith. You will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs. You will die to yourselves to live out my faith. What's the point? What's my point in this? We must, brothers and sisters, seize every opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus. Keep on, keep on, keep on talking about Jesus. Now, don't be a jerk about it. Like sometimes I think we, we feel like we're being persecuted when we're just uh, tone deaf, you know, and, and we are jamming the gospel down people's throats. Don't do that. But don't shrink back either. Right? There is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. And he is the name that's above every other name. His name is the only name that's worthy of our worship and our adoration and glory. Where else outside of the name of Jesus can anyone find healing, forgiveness, and restoration at the deepest places of brokenness in their souls? Now listen, it's likely going to be very uncomfortable to open your mouth about Jesus, to tell people that, there, that there's a way out of their darkness and his name is Jesus. It's likely very uncomfortable some of us are gifted as evangelists and we don't have a problem sharing our faith, but many of us are not, but we're still called to share our faith. 
But here's the big thing I want you to remember. It will likely be uncomfortable, but my comfort, your comfort, is not as important as others' healing, forgiveness, and eternal destiny. It just isn't. Do not shrink back. Seize every opportunity the Holy Spirit gives you to proclaim the name of Jesus because you never know. It might be, you, you'll get rejected. You'll get called an idiot. All kinds of things. But you never know how God might use you to, to bring one person to share this truth with one person who will surrender their lives to, to the Lordship of Christ and find life and their eternity will be transformed because you obeyed God rather than men. Seize every opportunity. Now, finally, um, you guys with me? All right. I think those donuts are doing their job. Sugar crash. My final point, I just called advancing with optimism. <laughs> advancing with optimism. Here's why. Uh, verse 33, when they heard this, so basically when Peter said, hey, Caiaphas, you're not our high priest, Jesus is, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, I always think of Gargamel, I don't know why, but... Uh, <laughs> a teacher of the law. And you're like, who is that? Smurfs, man, Smurfs, my childhood. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he goes on, I'm not going to read it all again, but he says, look, there were some guys that came before Jesus and they claimed to be the Messiah. They claimed to be the one. And they, gave, they, got, they had a following and people went after them and we killed those guys and their movements failed. Because people don't get more bold when the founder is in the grave. And so he says, if this is something that, that man has created, it's going to fail. Don't worry about it. But if this is something that God is doing, you might find yourselves opposing God himself. You will not be able to stop what is happening. Now, Gamaliel is an interesting character because he's actually one of Saul of Tarsus's teachers. You'll, you'll hear that later on. So when Paul becomes the apostle Paul, when Saul becomes Paul, he'll, he'll reference Gamaliel, who was one of his teachers. He was a very, very highly respected uh, teacher of Pharisee. He was the grandson of this guy, Hillel, which had a whole school of learning. And, um, and Gamaliel was the kind of guy that when he spoke, you listened. Now, there's no evidence that he was a believer. There's no evidence that, that he was on the side of Jesus here. But there was an openness to maybe, like, he saw this guy get healed. Uh, he saw what God was up to through these people. And so perhaps uh, there was something in him that was like, all right, let's just wait and see. Let's just give this thing a, a shot. But he, he tells them, be careful how you respond to these men. Because you don't want to be on the wrong side. Again, you know, sometimes we can oppose things that we don't think are of God, but we don't really know. And the last thing you want to do is find yourself thinking that you're serving God, but actually opposing God. So the Sanhedrin, they listen, sort of. They bring the guys back in and they beat them. You know, because if you can't join them, beat them. Uh, bad joke. It's Father's Day. I get a dad joke here or there. All right. If you can't join them, beat them. Uh, so here's what they do. They, they beat them, which is probably flogging, which is probably the, 30, the 40 lashes minus one, which comes from Deuteronomy. And basically it's like, if you think someone is guilty of a crime, uh, you can beat them. They lay on the floor and you whip them 40 times uh, minus one. So we don't want to, you know, 
we don't want to go over 40, they might die, so just do 39. And so that's what all the apostles get. They get flogged, they get beaten. And then they let them go. Which is amazing, right? Like, this is the highest council with the highest authority. Now, they still are under Rome, but in terms of the Jews, they have the highest power and authority, and all they can do is beat these guys up and then let them go. And they're thinking, oh, we taught you. Now you won't proclaim the gospel, right? And what happens? Um, Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Who saw that coming? (laughs) They get beat up and they leave rejoicing. Now, they are not gluttons for punishment, but they consider it an honor to suffer like Jesus suffered. How is that even possible? Because I'll tell you what, again, if you put yourself in their shoes, right? Uh, if, if I got arrested right now for proclaiming the gospel and beaten up, I would, th- I, I, honestly, I would think twice before I got up here again. It's just my, my self-preservation sinful side, right? Man, that was a big risk. I don't know if I want to do that again. These brothers got the gospel in a way that I just don't know that we do. Like I think of Paul later in Philippians 1, once he comes to Christ. You know, Paul writes Philippians from jail. And he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. So that's why I call this this, uh, point advancing with optimism. He says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And then he goes on in Philippians 1 to say, and I will rejoice for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now listen, those were not just pithy words that he wrote down in a letter. He lived it. He lived it. So they say, Paul, we're going to kill you. And he goes, all right, to die is gain. <laughs> They're like, all right, we're going to let you live. To live is Christ. They're like, all right, fine, we're just going to beat you up and throw you in jail. And he's like, bring it on, because the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. He's untouchable. He's untouchable. They got, these these early Christians understood that Jesus is the leader, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12. That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising its shame, that Jesus took the ultimate beating for us. He died for our sin, for our failure, for our wimpiness, for our lack of courage, for for all the shameful things that we've done. He died for us in order to give us life. And, And not even the grave could stop God's gospel and God's church from advancing. Jesus meant everything to these early Christians, and he was worthy of them giving up everything for, and they did. In just a couple chapters, we'll see the first martyr, the first legit person who dies for the faith besides Jesus. Stephen is stoned in public in chapter 7. We'll see that, and then from there, uh, it just gets worse, but they never stopped. 
every day, it says, they kept telling people about Jesus. They would go to the temple, which was like they were walking right by the religious leaders, and they would have church in Solomon's portico, in that outer ring of the temple. Like they took a risk every single day because those guys told them not to do it, and they were practicing their civil disobedience by obeying God rather than man. They said, we're going to have church. Here we go. They worshiped in their homes. They worshiped in, tent, in public in the temple. And 2,000 years later, you and I are still talking about Jesus. And listen, if they didn't stop, we can't stop. Then it was physical beating and, and even murder, okay? Today, in our world, in our culture, in, in the United States, in the city of Asheville, it's things like reputation, loss of friends, loss of sh- social credibility, loss of privilege, Right? Some of us might lose employment for standing up for the things that we believe in. And some of us are tempted to fight back using the world's tactics. But when have the strategies of man ever produced the kingdom of heaven? Some of us are tempted to shrink back and, and not to stand up for things that we believe in. Not, not to stand up for the exclusivity of Christ. Not to stand up for biblical gender and marriage, not to stand up for life at conception, not to stand up for virtue, biblical virtues and fruit of the Spirit, not to stand up for these things that are so uh, uh, clear in, in our Christian faith and in our scripture, and we stay silent. And listen, private faith will not get you beat up, but it's not going to transform the world either. So when the bullets are flying, at least you know you're walking in the right direction. And isn't he worth it? Isn't Jesus worth taking a bullet for? Isn't he worth the, worth the loss of reputation, the loss of privilege? The lo- I mean, I think we're so used to comfort and ease in our country that we get the littlest slap on the wrist and we're like, Lord, I don't want that anymore. What's going on, right? Meanwhile, we've got brothers and sisters who are literally dying for their faith every single day. And they, like we'll see with Stephen, look up to heaven and are welcomed in with joy. Because they persevere, they advance with eternal optimism. Isn't he worth it, friends? All right, I got three questions we're going to put on the screen here real quick. Uh, I've gone too long. Uh, We'll transition into our time of response. We will take communion as well. There should be a communion cup in the seat uh, the seat back. We also have some baskets on the front rows here uh, that have communion cups, and I'll walk you into that in just a minute. But let's uh, look at these questions first. First question is this. Is there anywhere I am sensing opposition for my allegiance to Jesus? Maybe not in this season, uh, but may- maybe there is. Maybe it's personal, uh, one-on-one. Maybe it's corporate. Maybe it's uh, uh, larger than that. Is there anywhere that you can point to in your life that you're sensing opposition for your allegiance to Jesus. Um, Now, you may be opposed because you're a jerk, and that's different. Are you sensing opposition for walking with Jesus, for clinging to Jesus, for talking about Jesus? Second question. What opportunities has the Lord given me to share the good news of Jesus? So there are people in your life that God has placed you in relationship with who may be very difficult people. They might be nice people. They might be better people than you are, but they don't know Christ. 
And God has placed you in those relationships in order that you might proclaim the good news of Christ to them. Uh, who are those people? What opportunities has the Lord given you to share this good news, to tell people about how good Jesus is? And then finally, how can the gospel of Jesus help me gain greater perspective on the struggles, trials that I'm facing, the opposition I'm facing, and help me with perseverance, to advance with optimism, right? The sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Um, Paul, in, you know, again in Philippians 3, um, um, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish so that I might know Christ. How can the gospel, how can this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection help me to gain greater perspective on the sufferings, pain, opposition I'm facing right now and to persevere with optimism, with joy um, because Jesus' kingdom cannot be thwarted or stopped. All right, so I'm going to leave these up on the screen for a minute. Uh, the way we're going to do communion right now is it's sort of a self-serve thing, right? So you have the cup. You can pray when you are ready. You can just peel back uh, the little top layer that, that releases the cracker, uh, and then you can open the cup and take the juice as well. And, and we do this on a regular basis. By the way, if you have a gluten allergy and cannot take that little cracker, Hannah in the back has a little tray with some gluten-free crackers and so you can just get up quietly and go back there and grab that if you, if you need to do that. But um, uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, right, celebrating that final meal with his disciples, took the bread and the cup, and he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This cup it is my blood, the new covenant, spilled for you. So we were getting back into the rhythm of taking communion on a regular basis. Uh, we, we, before COVID, took it weekly just to remind ourselves of the gospel Remind ourselves of Jesus' broken body and shed blood for us that we might be whole. And so as you process what you've heard, as, as the Lord has spoken to you, you're welcome to take communion at your pace, at your timing. Uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'll let you respond to the Lord. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you that uh, week by week we're seeing old familiar faces uh, and new ones as well, and that you are growing this family of God. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, that, that you have called us into your family and that we have a mission. And that mission is to proclaim the Lord Jesus until he comes again. And so help us, Lord, to be faithful to you when we face opposition. Uh, when you present us with opportunity, we want to be faithful. Help us to be faithful for your glory and for the good of those who don't know you yet. And as we suffer, as we endure opposition, help us to have joy. That we, to, to, to like Peter, recognize that we are counted worthy to suffer as you suffered. It's not easy, but you, Holy Spirit, can sustain us, and we ask for that. Lord, as we respond now, be glorified in our midst, and may we, um, may we just bring glory to the name of Jesus as we sing in response. We ask your blessing in the name of Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.